We're going to be reading from Matthew 17, 1 to 9, about being up on a mountain. And I am thinking of, of, of Bill if he is flying now, uh, because I love it. I, I don't particularly like the pressure on my ears and the crowdedness of the airplane, but I, I, I do like being up above the clouds. And we had an experience um, a little over a couple of years ago. We flew down from Billings here to to Tampa for a wedding. And um, as we looked out of the airplane approaching Tampa, and we were still up about 20,000 feet or so, it looked like we were driving into a forest of thunderclouds because there were five or six of these pillars coming up out of the strata clouds. Stratus is like stratus and pillars of thunderstorms coming up. And we were headed right at that cluster of thunderstorms, and then the plane went down into the clouds. And we thought we were in Disney World for a while. <laughs> and I could almost, I was on the aisle, looked down, and you could almost see the tube bending as it hit those updrafts. And finally, the pilot says, I've tried seven times to get down on the ground. We're getting out of here. And he hit the fuel, and boom, we took off and landed at Sarasota until all those thunderstorms moved out of there. But the dynamic is fantastic, isn't it? We're down here thinking the whole heavens have gone black. But you just get up a couple miles, and it's beautiful sunshine, and it's, the top of the clouds are white and fluffy like a... Cedar mattress, it's just, you know, you could really forget about your problems up there. So we're going up on the mountain, and we're going to see a sight. And if you guys know where I'm headed, this is one of the most beautiful yet challenging pictures about in the middle, very much towards the end of Jesus' life. About in the middle of Matthew, it's in 17, and there's 20, another 10 chapters to go. But this is very much at the end of his life, just before he heads back to Jerusalem and the political, religious thunderstorms break out. But here up on the mountain for a moment in prayer, we get a very different vision. I'm going to read you the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can stand if you like, or you can just enjoy listening to this beautiful story put together by the Apostle Matthew. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before him. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them... Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, said, This is my beloved Son, 
with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came to them, touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This is not the first time Jesus has gone away to the mountain. Oh, and, and by the way, if any of you are studying and following how preachers work, I will try and break off. So I have just had the introduction, tried to hook your interest in high places. I'm not going to tell you the story of what I see in the story, and then we'll go on to some other things. It starts off six days later. Jesus had been with Peter and his disciples, and there had been a very sharp conversation Jesus had looked him in the eye and said, you know, you've been with me almost three years now, maybe a little bit over. We're coming into this time of the year. I'm headed for Jerusalem for the Passover. I want to know, who do you think I am? Some people think you're a great teacher. Some people think you're a fraud. Some people don't care. The Pharisees are really curious about your power at missions. Yeah, well, Jesus says, who do you think I am? And the same guy, Peter, spoke up and he said, You know, you have told us, and I'm paraphrasing, you've told us you're the Christ, and we believe it. And Jesus said, if that's true, you didn't get that from yourself. God the Father from heaven told you who I am, because there's theology later that you can't know who Jesus is unless you're given that miracle. And then he takes these three, Peter, James, and John, and he goes up onto a mountain. Like I said, it's not the first time he's gone up there. He's gone up there before, you know, after the feeding of the 5,000, he went up on the, on the mountain. It says that he spent all night in prayer before he picked 12 out of the 70-some who were following him. That's more than there may be here. A, a crowd of young men and women are following Jesus, and he picks 12 out of there. These three are the closest to him. And they go up to what we believe, because the text doesn't tell us exactly, they go up to what is called Mount Tabor, T-A-B-O-R. It is a very unique geological formation, just eight miles from Nazareth. And it's kind of a plain of low rolling hills, and then all of a sudden up out of the earth comes this rock, this mountain. And it is uh, about 1,500 feet above the plain, about 2,000 feet above sea level. The normal earthly plain there is about 300 feet above the ocean. And then this Mount Tabor thrusts up there. It's the only prominent mountain in that part of Galilee. There are bigger ones further north. But this is where they believe he went. And he went up there often. Now, to understand the geography, the uh, trade tower in New York City, anyone know this trivia? It's historic. It's nationalistic. The trade tower in New York City, as it has been rebuilt, 
is 1,776 feet tall. In memory and in honor of the Declaration of Independence. Isn't that kind of cute? Now you'll never forget that. How tall is the World Trade Tower? 1776. That is about the height of this mountain. Only there's no other buildings or, sur or surroundings that just, you know, kind of like that big tower they have over there in South Dakota or Wyoming, poking up out of the mountain. And there they go up and uh, they're expecting Jesus to begin to pray and they're going to just hang out and they're not sure how to do that, but they're, you know, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden this vision thing happens. It's like a, a beam comes out of the clear sky and you can read it for yourself. Jesus is described here as he is described later by the Apostle John and as he was described by Daniel 60 years in the future and seven, 800 years in the past, Jesus is described the same as suddenly his flesh begins to glow like the sun. And his clothes appear to be like the skin of a light bulb is the only way I can paraphrase for you. Let's say his clothes began to shine with the light coming through them. And he begins to glow. And the, the Greek word is translated transfigurated. Not morphed. But his figure changed transferred and this is where we get the mystery of this story that truly humbles me to stand before you because I can't figure out what happened to Jesus right there except that you we, we these these men were given a spiritual vision of Jesus and this is where we're going to transition a little bit because we begin to see some big mysteries as if time and space and matter itself begins to fall away. And they're not anywhere except in this light, in this presence of God. They say that when you, if you've been into an accident or if you've been into a traumatic experience, all of a sudden your brain just releases all the other stuff around you and you only can focus on this one thing. And it's like you're suspended. That is not earthly. And what, we're, what I want to emphasize with you today is that there is a spiritual world. Not the kind you see in the movies of Dungeons and Dragons. But to try and, and think about our faith in Jesus having a realm, a world of spirit. Not transcendental meditation and all of that but that the spiritual world of Jesus is more real than the stuff of life. Time, space, and matter. Jesus transcends that. He is the creator of it. He is bigger than it. And that is our friend. That is our savior. That is to whom we can pray. And so we see that Moses lived about 1,440 years before Jesus. Okay? They're not sure where his grave is, but it does say he died. 
And I have read the Torah, the Exodus and Deuteronomy, and looking for those, did Moses die? Because there are rumors that he walked off into the mountains, and it does say he died. I can't give you a chapter and verse today. But we do know from the story of Elijah, and I believe that is in First or Second Kings. Won't waste time looking it up. But it says that a chariot of fire caught him up off the earth, and he didn't die. And so why these two men, uh, more books than I want to read, speculate as to why these two men, possibly because they represent the law of Moses and the prophetic vision of Jesus, the law and the prophets stuff. But anyway, uh, the other speculation is who's talking to who in this spiritual world. Some say that Moses and Elijah are encouraging Jesus. You can do it, Jesus. You can go down from the mountain. You can go back into the Roman Jewish political world. You can go through the suffering on the cross. You can go through the... You can do it. We believe in you. And they're kind of Jesus' cheerleaders. Because we have the idea that Jesus came into existence at Bethlehem. And that Jesus, Christ Jesus began to be a part of the Trinity at Bethlehem. And, and that's not what the Bible says. That Jesus was before Moses. Jesus was before Elijah. And I think it's much more powerful to take time out of the equation. And Jesus is instructing Moses, as he did on the, on the mountain, this is the Ten Commandments, Moses. You see you turn it around? Paradigm shifting, it's fun. Jesus is the one telling Elijah, I am the one, I am the fulfillment of the law, I am the fulfillment of the prophecy, I am the Messiah. And I'm in, Jesus is instructing Moses and Elijah, outside of time and space, all happening at the same time. I'm going somewhere with this because it's going to make you happy. These are the mysteries of the spiritual world. And I'll give you a little bit other history as I move now into what we call systematic theology. Those are the de some of the details of the story. Now, what does it mean? Why would the Holy Spirit put this in the Bible? What's it there for us? For everybody, for time and space. First of all, it tells us that Jesus is God. He is an intricate person of the Trinity, not a member, a person. And that Jesus calls God his Father, and then he says, I and the Father are one. Now, that's a mystery, but that's what it says. And that when you see Jesus and when you hear from Jesus, you're hearing from God. You're looking at God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, your eyes and your brain and your heart are illumined and you can see him for what he is in his grace and mercy and love. Which is that beautiful feeling up above the clouds. This has been a great controversy and continues today. A man named Arius in the 300s said, well, th what this proves, what this story proves is that Jesus really is spirit and that his body is irrelevant and we don't even think it really existed. They touched a figment of their imagination. The body of Jesus was never really real. That's the Arius controversy. 
a man named Athanasius from Alexander, Egypt said, no, you're wrong. And we get two big creeds. The Athanasian Creed, written by Athanasius, which says Jesus is God, a very God. And we get the Nicene Creed, which was written at a gathering in Constantinople around 325. That would make it a 1700 years ago, where they articulated for once and for all, if you're going to be Christian, you got to understand Jesus is a person of the Trinity, but in his essence, he is God. And I don't want to say any more because I'll fall into one of the heresies about that. The best I can understand it is when I think of my own father. And that when I was a little guy, and I was once, I still am not inside, a little bitty guy. My father was all there was, if you remember that. For better, for worse, for abuse, injury, and care, and love. My father was my father, and he imprinted on me what I am. Not at all condoning, and my father was not abusive, but he, he was handicapped in a way, and, and, and he was my whole existence. You remember that when you were a little, little person? Then you be, when you became 14, 15, 16, you began to wonder about your father. And by the time you were 21, you couldn't figure out how much he'd learned in seven years. And then you discovered that your father possibly sacrificed for you as a real man. And then he listened to the alarm clock and he got up and he heard himself working and he did it for you. He sacrificed for you and he became a sacrificial peer. Well, now he's gone, but he's not. He's like the, the spirit in the back of my head. He's father, sacrificer, and spirit, all at the same time. It's a poor example, but it's a kind of an example of what God is, all at the same time. So you've got to get out of this space-time continuum to enjoy the glory of God. You've got to get above the clouds. Secondly, the mystery of Jesus. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became... Like a light bulb, he was just glowing. The word, it says, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Corinthians, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Isn't that beautiful? The mystery of Jesus. We struggle with that at the, at the Christmas time. You know, little bitty guy making a mess, and Jesus discovering his godness. Not going to go too far into that, but this great mystery of what Jesus is. And what I want to go to now, there's the systematic theology of the Trinity, of the person of Jesus, totally God and totally human at the same time. I don't understand that, but that's what it says. And from that, he makes the mystery of the church. I just really like this about this picture. And that Peter is a normal human being, just like you and I. And in great respect to your architectural abilities to build churches. And I've been able to serve in two of them. One here and one in Malta. 
Peter starts talking about building tents and building tabernacles and building churches. And while he is saying, oh, I could build you a great... A voice says, and I'm going to paraphrase, Peter, would you knock it off? Peter, stop talking about church growth. Okay? Peter, stop talking about stones and curtains and rituals and earthly worship. The mystery of where is the church here? There's Jesus. There's Moses. There's Elijah in the flesh. There's Peter. There's James and John. We got a church of five with Jesus as the pastor. We got a church of six up here on top of the mountain. There's a fellowship in the spirit. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to go down the mountain to the cross and I'm going to pay for the sins of the world and I'm going to rise again. You want to live in that? That's above the clouds. And you just want to... The voice from heaven, is that the Father's voice? It doesn't matter. It says, Peter, stop talking about earthly church growth. Let's talk about that revival. Let's talk about getting into the spirit where we say, can I get up there? Can I listen to Jesus? And that's the title of this. This is where we're headed. Can you listen to Jesus? This is the conclusion now. Can you hear him? You've got to stop talking if you want to hear him. And I just, I did, I did enjoy praying with you. I felt the spirit when we were praying for each other's earthly needs and for that awful grief in that family in California. I felt that. I think you did. But we don't stay there. We take that family up the mountain. We take them to Jesus and we stop talking and we say, Jesus, what do you have to say to this family? Okay. What does he have to say? I love them. I'm not here to create eternal bodies to live in this miserable world. I love them. For God so loved that he didn't cure all the diseases, but he gave his only son. He expressed himself that whoever believes in him shall not perish. You wrap your head around that? Wrap your heart around that? There's a coming a day. Sooner for some of us than others, although you never know from what the week's experiences are. We will no longer perish, but shall have eternal life. Secondly, Jesus says, I know your body. I know the thunderstorms. I know the pain. It's real. Human pain is real. Don't go off into that aesthetic stuff where you deny it. Pain is real. I get it. We can confess it. We can say, Jesus, I'm in pain here. The Psalms are full of it. I'm in pain here. He says, yeah, I know. I know. I was there. I am there. Take a deep breath. It sometimes helps when you're cold to take a deep breath. And believe. And believe. 
that the reality of Jesus is bigger than our pain. And that Jesus forgives all sin. If there was ever a message of the church that will revive the community, is that we believe Jesus has already forgiven everyone you could ever see. But there be, yeah, I know. Jesus knows. And he says, I died on the cross for that. Is that true for you? Do you believe that? Do you believe the forgiveness of sin over your neighbor's sin? And over yours, you pray the Lord's Prayer? Forgive me my sins. How did Jesus do that? He suffered. He bled out to pay for my sins. Now the Greek word is very interesting. And in the same way, you, Jesus, forgive my neighbor. The Lord's Prayer does not ask me to go to the cross for my neighbor because I'd be dead and they'd still be in their sin. The Lord's Prayer says, forgive me my sins. And in the same way, if you're listening, stop talking about church growth. If you're listening, Jesus has died for your... They may not know it yet. That's our job. He's died for their sins. That's church growth. And now that you believe that is true, he says, go make a disciple out of them. Go be their caregiver, their friend. And don't tell them where you go to church. They'll figure it out. People are smart. So now you have that choice. Now that you know, Jesus demonstrated. He took Peter, James, and John. He went up on the mountain. He blew away all the physical things of earth, space, time, and matter. And he said, this is heaven. This is heaven. This is where we're going to be. This is where we are. I love this thought. I'm already there. And as God has given you faith, you're there too. As Moses was with Elijah, was with Jesus, was with Peter, was with John, time is irrelevant. It's already true. Does that make you smile? Our God reigns. 372. As it is true for you, and as you believe it is true for your neighbor, and as you have opportunity to call them through your personal relationship and your friendship, call them up the mountain, out from under the clouds, into the presence of God, where you know what kind of guys Peter, James, and John were. They did not deserve to be up on that mountain. God called them up there anyway, in the presence of Jesus. Our God reigns. The king is revealed. 